It's good to be with you here on this, this Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning or whatever you happen to be uh, viewing this online if you are doing so. Uh, Stephen Manyara mentioned a little while ago that this is our last uh, Saturday service for a while. Uh, we're doing that for a couple of different reasons. I don't want to make sure that you, you know what those are. You might have seen the, the Friday email that Brady puts out this, this past Friday. That talked about it a little bit. Uh, but what, one thing we see is that, um, is that COVID is surging. It's going up. And so we want to, we want to provide... Um, uh, some, some greater safety and reduce the, the number of times that there's the availability for transmission within our congregation. Uh, we have a little bit of space left on Sunday mornings in our worship services, so I want to encourage you to take part in those. We will continue to broadcast, uh, record and broadcast our services, so they will be available. The same thing that's here on Sunday morning at 9 and 11 will also be online uh, on Sunday morning. So that will still be out there. I want to ask you to pray for, for those that are working uh, on staff in the church, um, even those that are not on staff that are giving so much. What we see nationwide, my friends, is that 70% of those that are in ministry, 70% of those in ministry nationwide are looking for jobs elsewhere. They're looking to leave ministry completely to go into a secular field because they're burning out. Ministry's hard as it is. But during the pandemic, it's become much harder. I've, I've lived on both sides of that in the business world and now in ministry. Uh, and so I, I can tell you that living, that ministering in a pandemic is much harder. And the longer the pandemic goes on, it becomes harder and harder. So we see 70% of ministry people nationwide are looking to leave ministry and move into the secular field. Um, our folks are burning out. Our worship team, goodness gracious, my friends, they, they practice they prepare. Um, some of them have other jobs in addition to this. They give so very much of themselves. Uh, late into the night tonight, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, they'll still be working to put together worship experience, a service online for, for those that are watching online tomorrow. So pray for them. Uh, encourage them when you see them. Uh, give them a kind word. Uh, they're loving so very well, loving you so well. I'm so thankful to get to minister alongside them. So that's, that's some of the reasons why we're, we won't be doing Saturday for a while through at least through December and into January. Uh, and we'll see what the, what the future holds regarding our, the, the pandemic and what we, what we can do in the future. Okay? If you have questions about that, uh, hit me up and I'll answer what I can. Uh, we're, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts uh, today. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, through 37. Uh, so I invite you to open up your Bibles uh, or your device or you'll find it on the, the wall over here on either side. This is the word of the Lord. When they were released, that is when Peter and John were released from prison, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together 
against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. For while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the, the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will open up our hearts and you will transform us uh, through your word, through the preaching of your word as your Holy Spirit applies that to our souls. Lord, I pray that we would run to you and be wide open to you, Father, to transform us with your amazing grace. Father, I pray for this one that would proclaim your word today. I pray, Father, that I would pour out by your grace clear, clean, living water from this broken cistern for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, my friends, um, I'm sure there's not a person uh, here in this room or that's watching online that has not experienced crisis, uh, catastrophe, uh, some multiple some even now in the midst of it, um, it it's, it's present with us. And um, we do a disservice when we ignore that. We do each other a disservice. I, I remember as a kid when, uh, when my mom came and told me that she was um, uh, separating from my father. Uh, and then a few months later, she informed me she was marrying her boss. So there was that going on. Uh, there was crisis. You know, I was four at the time. Uh, my father was my, my hero, uh, and with good reason. Uh, he, was, he was a great man. Uh, so there, there was crisis in my life early on. I saw it later, you know, as, the, uh, as I'm living in, in Montgomery, Alabama, the, the home of Max Blair Force Base. And, and so it was a, um, it was a place where, where war was close at hand. And I remember watching the news at night, and they would show the, 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 the figures uh, of the casualties in the Vietnam War at the end of every day. There was crisis. We grew up with it. I buried my father and my stepfather and my mother and my sister. Um, you shouldn't have to do that by now. Crisis. Crisis happens. My friends, we're in the midst of one. We're in the midst of a significant crisis. We've had one wave of a pandemic and a second one is upon us. We cannot ignore that. It's here. In the first wave, there were some of us that knew people that had 
come in contact with COVID-19 positive test people. They just come in contact with them. Maybe knew some people that had, um, that had COVID-19, maybe. We're in the second wave and all that's changed. For my guess is that everyone in this room knows somebody that has tested positive for COVID and might even have it right now. And those numbers are going up. The crisis is multiplying. It's where we are. We're not the first group of people to go through a crisis, though. God gives us a view of what crises were beginning to impact the church in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. In this place, they were beginning to look at persecution. Peter and John were the first ones to be arrested, but they would not be the last. They had been arrested. They had been brought before the Sanhedrin. We talked about that last week. And now they have been released. But even while they were being arrested, what they had said beforehand was, was so powerful as the Holy Spirit worked through the preaching of the Word of God and 5,000 men plus women and children came to know Jesus Christ. So even in the midst of crisis, there was revival. In fact, if you look back through our history as a nation, whenever there has been a major crisis, whether it was a Civil War or World War I or World War II in the post-Vietnam War era after 9-11, there's always been a revival that has taken place. I'm looking forward to a revival. Revival also comes when persecution happens. John and Peter had faced persecution, and all those that were coming to Christ at that time knew that this persecution had taken place. It was not a secret. They knew John and Peter had been arrested. And while John and Peter were in prison, the rest of the people together were praying for them. The persecution came from every direction. You look at verse 25, and we read why did, from a, a quote from Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Peter and John know, they recognize that what happened in, in Psalm 2, what David was speaking of there, is coming to fruition again right there in Jerusalem on that day. That this persecution against Peter and John is a persecution against Jesus Christ, the anointed of the Lord. The people know that just as these same individuals, these rulers and Gentiles, these, these Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, had come together and killed Jesus Christ and had imprisoned Peter and John, they've got to know that it can happen to them as well. There is a crisis at hand. How will they respond? They respond with bold togetherness. Two things we see throughout this passage. One, there's boldness, and two, there's togetherness. It's unity. Unity is not the same thing as conformity. Unity is not the same thing as conformity. It is good that people have differences. It is good that people have preferences. It is good that people have perspectives. It is good. It makes us different. It makes for a great Thanksgiving dinner, right? 
I mean, who wants to eat turkey and turkey and turkey and turkey? No. I want pecan pie. I want pumpkin pie. I want sweet potato casserole. I want green bean casserole. Some of you might want, not want green bean casserole. I want the green bean casserole. I want differences. I want different people. We need all of that. It's the same in the church in Jerusalem. Conformity and unity are not the same thing. But my friends, when we, when we take our, our, our differences and we put them in the place of a judgmental heart and judgmental words and proclaim or think or proclaim and think that my perspectives and my preferences are holy and yours are not. Oh, my friends, then we have entered into sin and we've grieved the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, I want to beg you, in fact, during this time of this pandemic, at the very least, lay aside your differences. Lay aside unholy preferences and perspectives that are not of God. Lay them aside. Lay aside the differences that you have with folks from different denominations and different languages and different political parties. Put them aside. We've got enough of a crisis to deal with. Let's come together. What is it that brings these people together, though? It's not a common thought process, but the same thing that brought them together was the same thing that brought their unity this is the same thing that they proclaimed boldly. It's none other than Jesus Christ. They came together around the person of Jesus Christ. He is the unifying force for the people of Jerusalem. Listen, you go back to chapter 2 in verse 8 of Acts, and you get a picture of the people that were there. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. All of these people were still together in Jerusalem. My friends, they didn't even speak the same languages. And yet they came together on the person of Jesus Christ. Bold persecution ought to bring about bold togetherness in Jesus Christ. What do you need to lay down to help make that happen? So that as we read in verse 32, 32 we are in of one heart and one soul. The people were one. And a part of that bold persecution led them to a bold praying life. The passage tells us that they were praying together. In verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, they're not praying to, to a God that has no power. These probably 20,000 people by now. So you have 5,000 men plus women and children plus the 3,000 that have become believers in Acts chapter 2 and all those that have been added to the mix since then. You probably have about 20,000 Christians in Jerusalem and they're all together praying to a God that they consider to be sovereign. And they go on and you'll see that they don't pray that the persecution stops. 
What they do pray in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the threats of those that would persecute them, and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Stretch out your hand. Continue to do signs and wonders and healings. They don't say, Lord, stop the persecution. Isn't that fascinating? Because that's one of the first things we do as American Christians. Lord, stop the persecution. I think one of the problems is that we confuse persecution with annoyance. There's things that annoy us as Christians. And we expect to have a perfectly easy life. As if Christ was wrong when he said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer. And so we want the anointers to stop and we brand them as persecutions. My friends, there are very few Christians in the United States of America that are actually persecuted. My friend Joshua is one of the house church leaders, that's not his real name, house church leaders in China. I was with him a few years ago. Uh, Joshua had been in prison many times, had been beaten several times. His life had been threatened. He was speaking to a few of us, a small group of us, um, in a city here in the United States where we had gathered together to meet with Joshua. We prayed with him for a while. And then we asked him, brother, how can we pray for you going forward? Should we be praying that this persecution stops? My friends, he stepped back and he held up both hands and he said, no, no. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's when the church is persecuted that the church grows. Don't pray that the persecution stops. Pray instead that it begins for the United States of America. Pray that the persecution starts here, for that's when the church grows. My friends, this church isn't praying that the persecution would stop. They're praying that God would give them boldness to speak with boldness and clarity in the world, in the, in the city in which they were living. I want you to think about that. They know. They know that there's an authority group out there that can arrest them and have them killed. Still, they pray that they can speak more boldly, knowing that in so doing, they will make themselves front and center on the firing line of those that can kill them. Lord, let me speak more boldly. My friends, what happens here at EP if we begin to pray, Lord, help us speak more boldly? What happens not just here at EP, but what happens in Annapolis? What happens in our county and our state if we as Christians, just one church even, say, Lord, help us speak more boldly? And it wasn't just Peter and John that were speaking more boldly. For it was all of them together that were praying, Lord, look upon, your, uh, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. My friends, bold. Bold is more than just something at the top 
of your, your Microsoft Word document. Bold is more than just a thought. Bold means that you're different. Are you willing to be different? A friend of mine, a friend of mine from high school went to Auburn with me. The problem was he was an Alabama fan. Now, those of you that understand this understand that that's like oil and water. They don't mix, okay? Um, I, I love my Alabama friends. I, I truly do. Um, everybody's not of the same mind. Some of them hate each other. But what you never do is you never go to college at Auburn wearing an Alabama jersey. And you don't go to Alabama wearing an Auburn jersey. You just don't do that. And yet that's what my friend did. He was willing to be bold. Are you willing to be bold for Jesus Christ? Or do you want to blend in? My friends, if you blend in to your community, to your family, if you blend into your workplace so well that no one there would suspect you of being a Christian, my friends, you need to check whether or not you're a believer in Jesus Christ. God doesn't call us to blend in. He calls us to be bold. Boldly praying and boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They boldly proclaim their own testimony. My friends, when we boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to also live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. These apostles weren't just boldly proclaiming. There was a life difference. It wasn't just the apostles. It was the other people that were part of the church. They're boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, but their life was different. So different that some of them were losing their jobs. Some of them were being kicked out of their families. That's why needs were going higher. Needs had to be met by someone else because many of these had lost their homes. They had lost their family. They had lost their jobs. They had lost their income. They were boldly praying and boldly proclaiming, even in the face of bold persecution. My friends, what happens? What happens if at EP we not only boldly proclaim, but we boldly live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just here, not just amongst ourselves, but in Annapolis and in our county and in the state? What happens? You know what I think will happen? I think there will be a, an explosion of people coming to know Jesus Christ. There will be an explosion of praise to the Lord God if we begin to live as this Jerusalem church was living in Acts chapter 4. There would be an explosion. One of the things that happened here wasn't just an explosion of people coming to know Jesus Christ. It wasn't just an explosion of bold proclamation of the gospel and bold praise, but it was a bold provision. Let me read verse 32 to 37 again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them 
and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Bold provision. I want you to notice a couple of things here. One, there was no longer anyone among them that was needy. No one was needy. They weren't needy because all their needs were being met. And that's marvelous, isn't it? That causes me to marvel. But what causes me to marvel even more is the generosity of the church in Jerusalem. Impacted by Jesus Christ, they gave. That was the natural outworking of it. Even to the point of selling homes and lands and laying the proceeds at the feet of the disciples. They were living out what we read in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. They were living it out. What happens? What happens at EP if we begin to do that? If we begin to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ so thoroughly that there's no longer a needy person amongst us. Seeing the need, they sold houses and lands to provide for the need. You see, it isn't just that God is a provider, but God provides through his people. God provides for others through you and me. Through sacrificial giving, generous giving, it was the pattern of their giving. What would EP look like if there were no more needs to be met? My friends, let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you how easy that is. Let me tell you how easy that is. Okay? Our, our, our budget giving, our budget of giving is around $2 million, a little bit more. You've heard that. If everyone at EP, if everyone at EP tithed, just 10% is, is in biblical giving, that's what biblical giving is. If everyone at EP were to do that, my friends, there would be between six and eight million dollars. You know what we could do as a church with another four to six million dollars over and above what our, our financial needs are? Can you imagine the needs that we can meet, not just here in the church, but in our city? Can you imagine the people that could be fed, the medical needs that could be taken care of? Can you imagine the praise that would break out for Jesus Christ in our city and in our county. And that's just one church. How glorious would that be to get to see God meet the needs of those that are created in his image through his church. I long to see that day. There would be an explosion of people worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, well, Harrison, that was those people. That's not us. Let me tell you who those people were. Those people were people just like us. Some of them were shepherds. Some of them were shop owners. Some of them were priests. Some of them were wealthy. Some of them were in poverty. Some of them were unemployed, and some of them were underemployed. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were cleaners of stables. Some of them were builders of palaces. And some of them were owners of palaces. Some of them were carpenters and tailors. They were people just like you and me. They were us. There's no difference. 
And the same God that has saved their soul and has saved your soul if you're a believer in Jesus Christ has saved us for eternity. What happens, what happens if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and we recognize that we have heaven forever, not a 1,000 years, not 10,000 years, 10 million years and beyond, and then we live these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth in light of heaven. You really can't take it with you. I promise you, you can't take it with you. I did see a hearse pulling a U-Haul one time. But it was at a fraternity party in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm just saying, it wasn't real. Are you willing to trust God with your life? You trust him with your eternal life? We trust him with your life here. These individuals that were giving away their houses and lands were doing it because they trusted Jesus Christ. What gets in the way of of God boldly providing together through us. I'm gonna give you three things, okay? The first is meism. Meism is not a preferred word. I know that it's a made-up word, but I'm gonna use it anyway. Meism. One of the most difficult things to grasp in this world is that the world does not revolve around you. That's not just teenagers that struggle with that. We all struggle with that. We just hide it better. The world does not revolve around us. It revolves around Jesus Christ. When we think the world revolves around us, and we have put Matthew 22 on the shelf, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself, we've put that aside. When we think the world revolves around us, we've left God out in the cold, and we've left his image bearers in the freezer. We're not going to deal with them when the world revolves around us. God's called us to something higher and better than that. The world revolves around the creator. The incredible mystery is that this creator of heaven and earth, as they call him here, um, the, 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 the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this God, this God, the most, the, the most incredible mystery for me is that that God loves me and you. And he loves us so thoroughly that he drains the last drop of his son's blood. Then you and I might have life forever. In other words, he doesn't just look at you and me and see our sinful condition and see that we are separated from him forever. He doesn't just look at us and say, oh, that poor soul. Maybe somebody will come and meet their need. No, he meets the need. And he calls us to follow him Meism. We see the antithesis of meism in verse 36 and 37 when we look at Barnabas. We're going to hear more about Barnabas later on. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas, son, Nabus, a bar son, and Nabus is of encouragement. Son of encouragement. We see even here he's encouraging us through his actions. He was a Levite, but he was a native of Cyprus. He was a native of someplace else, and he sold a field. Was the field there in Jerusalem, a family field? Was it a field back in Cyprus? We don't know. Was it one acre? Was it two acres? Was it 100 acres? We don't know. What we do know is that he sold that field, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the disciples' feet. Barnabas wasn't wrapped up in meism. 
He was wrapped up in Jesus Christ and loving the people of God. It's meism. The second thing that we struggle with that gets in the way of God boldly providing together through us is that we trust ourselves rather than we trust God. They laid the, the, the money at the disciples' feet. How many of you recoil at that thought? You think to yourself, there's no way I would sell anything and lay it at the feet of, of elders or deacons. Really. My friends, um, I love our elders and deacons. They are a lot like Peter and me. There's times that we deny Jesus Christ through our actions. And yet there are repentant hearts, there are faithful hearts, and there are men that God has called and ordained for the task ahead. I love these men. And yet even as I love these men, and even as these people loved Peter and John and the other ten apostles, they weren't giving and laying the money at the feet of the apostles because they trusted the apostles, but because they trust Jesus Christ. Because God had changed their lives. It's not because they trust the 12, but because they trust the one. Who are you trusting with your life? Who are you trusting with your life, not just eternally, but right here on earth? So often we trust ourselves rather than God. Third reason, the third thing that gets in the way of us being used by God to boldly provide together is that we're different from the world, but we don't know it. To be bold means to be different. To be bold means you stand out. We're so completely different that God calls us a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read that we, that, that we are a new creation. Paul says the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's not that you're a better version of your old self. No. It's that you're a new creation. You're reborn. You're as different from your old self as a dog is from a cat. You're different. You're a new creation. So quit living like the old man. We're different. We're made as new creations. So why do we blend in to the world? We're different, but we don't know it. My friends, we're not citizens of this world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. You're an alien, a foreigner in this world. So let's live like it. Let's live different, bold. My friends, did you know that the word, the word together in relation to the church being together in the book of Acts is, is mentioned 29 times. 29 times this new young church was together. In this great church in Acts 4, there was great power, the Holy Spirit. There was great grace. And what that means in this passage is that there was great favor in the city. That is, others in the city, even those that were not yet believers in Christ, even those that were Romans, were, would look at the Christians and have favor upon them. Why? Because what they said they believed is how they lived. They said, we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love you as we do ourselves. Therefore, we're going to share what we have with you. 
There was great favor. The city marveled at that. There was great togetherness and unity. Not that they were all perfect. Not that they all thought the same. They didn't speak the same languages. But they had great unity around the person of Jesus Christ. There was great togetherness. There was great boldness. They were different. There was great generosity. As they made sure that there were no needs amongst them. Because God was going to fill them all and he was going to do it through his people. My friends, these are characteristics of God, aren't they? Not just of that church, but they're characteristics of God. So these are characteristics that we would do well to have as a part of EP as well. Maybe so at EP. I'll tell you what, let's spend some time talking to God about that, okay? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you did in this church in Acts chapter 4 in Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that you would make it so here at EP for your glory. Oh, Lord, the day's going to come. The day's going to come and we're going to get to see you face to face in heaven. What an incredible day that's going to be. And all the people around will bow at your feet and we will sing your praises together with the cherubim and the seraphim and all the angels, Lord. You're, you will be praised with loud voices on that day. Lord, I long for that day. But, Father, I pray that we will not wait until that day to bring about your praise here on earth. Lord, that you will so move through your church here at EP. Lord, that the people in this city, in this county, will come to know Jesus Christ, and they will sing your praises right here on earth. Father, make it so. Father, would you so move in us that we boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Lord, that we boldly pray to you, the sovereign Lord, together. Lord, that we boldly provide for each other because of your grace together. Lord, I pray that you would live boldly through us, through your Holy Spirit. Father, if there's anyone here in this place or online that's listening that has never met you, I pray that that changes even now. Father, that they would look to you and they would say to you, Lord, be my God. Lord, transform me and make me a new creation. Lord, forgive me my sin and make me whole. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.